You're listening to The Fallout with Joey Semmel and Drew Gillis. Thanks for tuning in. Hey guys, welcome into The Fallout. A um, little bit of a different episode this week. Um, we're going to talk about George Floyd and the protests and what everything that's been going on in the last week. And it's a different episode, but it needs to be. Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, this is unprecedented times in the United States right now. We're really hoping we can do something about it in this podcast right now. We're trying to bring in those black athletes, amplify those black voices, and let them be heard. I think that's the most important thing we can do right now as two white co-hosts is just to let the black community be heard. Yeah, I mean, the sole point of our podcast, the reason why we started it, um, was to get voices out there you don't usually hear. And generally, so far, that's taken the role of Division Three and some Division One sports that aren't football and basketball um, and getting those voices out there. But we thought about it, and we feel it's our responsibility to help amplify those black voices. So lucky for us, we found two black Division Three athletes who are willing to talk to us. Anything we can do as two co-hosts to really address systemic racism in this country, anything we can do, I think, is a positive change. Uh, and I'm hoping that we can make that positive change today. So our standout guests this week are... Nate Martin, a basketball player at Emerson University, and Grant Robinson, a basketball player at Amherst University. Both of them went to the Potomac School in McLean um, and were teammates of mine, sort of. They were on varsity. I was on JV. Um, But we wanted to make sure that you guys heard this week from Black Voices. I know it's been a long week for everyone. Um, How are you guys feeling about the protests and the lives lost this week and everything going on? Definitely a mix of emotions, uh, really overwhelmed by by everything. Um, It's obviously really sad, really devastating, um, really angering. But at the same time, the the protests are they're motivating and kind of make me feel uh, more optimistic about things. Um, It's cool to see all the support that there is for the Black Lives Matter movement. The murals and everything that were painted were also really cool um, touch. And I think are really instrumental in showing support for everything. Yeah, I think um, the best word I could use is overwhelmed. Like Grant said earlier, we um, actually talked about it with him on a FaceTime call this week. There's definitely a lot of thoughts going through my head and it's been hard to organize them because just being so inundated with different information and opinions and videos and attending protests, is. Uh, been a really hectic week. And then everything in front of the backdrop of coronavirus, you really are just in the house and constantly on your phone and seeing this information over and over. I had to take a break from Instagram and Twitter for just a day because it was it was getting really tough. And I think that having like a pretty thorough or um, comprehensive understanding of the actual problem of policing and where police brutality stems from and systematic racism in the United States. I think hopeless is like a really sad and dark word to use, but it's it's definitely bleak, you know, because like a real change would be super abstract. Like I, I couldn't even really tell you what it would look like completely. So I've just been trying to continue to educate myself and um, do what I can do. Just do what I think I can. So where do you find hope in a moment like this? For me, um, a lot of it is, again, like going back to the protests I've attended. It's the diversity I see at the protests. Like, it's not only black people at the protests um, trying to support themselves, but there's been a lot of white voices. And like, frankly, at this point, white voices are very powerful um, just because it comes from the majority. So for me, the hope is is seeing 
the widespread support for everything. Um, so protests, not even across the country, but across the world, and completely different socioeconomic statuses and people coming from different backgrounds trying to gather around and create awareness for, for the issue and the movement. But with that being said, like awareness without action is, is useless. Um, so I think the next step is to take these protests, to take um, the social media posts and all that stuff and put it into real life, put it into action, try and go out there and do something tangible to make change and create better lives for black people. Yeah, I mean, I think I've been encouraged actually by the outpour of white voices and people actively trying to make a change, whether it be doing things like educating themselves or protesting, signing petitions, making donations. And I think within these protests, uh, I saw somebody make a really interesting point on Twitter the other day that white people are actually experiencing police brutality themselves and in a way being treated like they were black by the police at these protests, um, being like tear gas and shot with rubber bullets and things like that. And I think that that's, that, that definitely adds a lot of fuel to the fire with white people growing more concerned and having the problem apply to them as well. So outside of the context of these protests and of this past week, uh, throughout your lives, how has it been being a black man in this country? How has your experience been? Uh, <laughs> Literally two days ago, because I, I was, like I said, it was a very overwhelming time, right? So I, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna take a walk to clear my head and try and get away from this. And lo and behold, somebody like pulled up beside me in like the middle of my neighborhood because they didn't believe I lived there and wouldn't believe me when I told them I've been living here for 18 years. And I think like somebody asked me, how often do you think you get profiled? And it's probably, honestly, it's probably every day. It's just a matter of like how far or how people act on it. Attending a school like Potomac and even the school that I'm at right now is, is a lot of white people. And so you definitely, you see racism everywhere if you look for it. Yeah, I mean, the second that, like there are numerous stories where I've had interactions with the police when I've literally done nothing, nothing wrong. Um, and they've asked me questions. The first time was when I was like 13, 12 or 13, um, just walking with friends through like Bethesda. Um, so like a very nice area. And they just like stopped me and asked us questions. I mean, there, there are a bunch of stories that I could say, but I think going to Potomac um, in general, it's weird. It kind of blinded me to my difference, I think, but also exacerbated my differences. And that's like a weird connection, I guess, because I'm literally contradicting myself. But what I mean by that is, Having gone to Potomac in second grade, it became normalized to be so different almost because, um, like, I mean, I was the only black kid in my class for basically forever until I got to middle school or high school. So I always felt different, um, but I sort of got used to the difference. Then as I got older, when I went to college, really started processing and analyzing my experiences. That's when I really started realizing how problematic certain scenarios I was in um, were and how much change really, I think, needs to happen um, at institutions, namely private, predominantly white institutions. Yeah, and I think everybody, every Black person in some way is deeply affected by systematic racism, even if it's not like on a direct individual basis. Somebody within their family um, has been harmed or had their life altered by different things like education or the prison industrial complex or 
redlining and just like anti-black capitalism in general. I, I know a big piece for me throughout all this, Nate, you mentioned the education has been learning how to not only be not racist, but learn how to be anti-racist. Um, and that's a piece of it I hadn't really thought about, admittedly. Um, so do you guys have any recommendations on where to go to continue to educate myself and for listeners to educate themselves um, on how to do that? I mean, there's numerous articles and stuff like that you can read. But I think for me, what I've noticed is having dialogue and asking questions to people who have experienced racism in some form or fashion can can really be beneficial. Like there are a couple um, close friends that I had in high school. I have a group chat with them and another one of my uh, black friends. And we were a bit disappointed that they hadn't reached out to us. We were confused about it. Actually, my friend simply reached out to to them in the group chat um, and just started a dialogue. And from then it just sort of continued, we continued having conversations that from their perspective really helped them. Um, the same thing happened with my basketball team in college. Like just the, the dialogue, we had a two hour Zoom call just talking about the issues and, and everything that was going on. And through that, we were able to recommend specific readings based on what we were talking about. So whether it's police brutality or like Nate mentioned, redlining, we spoke about that inequality in education, inequality, the wealth gap, like all that type of stuff. Um, I think you can sort of learn from people who have experienced those types of inequalities and injustices. Yeah, I think Grant summed it up really well. I think just open-minded listening and being proactive in terms of your research. I don't, like, I don't think it's super hard to figure out what the problems are. It's really just taking the extra step to understand them on your own accord. So Nate, a while back, you mentioned uh, that you can find racism every day as a black man if you really look for it. Uh, I've seen a common sentiment among other athletes, professional athletes, that the locker room is really one place where you might not find racism because you're all united under one common goal. Uh, I have also heard a conflicting sentiment from other sports reporters that that's not really possible as a nation uh, because there's never going to be one common goal that has to unite us. What impact do you think that sports will have on this conflict, on racism in general? Um, well, I think that black people outside of like sports and entertainment are relatively underrepresented in terms of like mainstream American society. So I think like if you look at history, people like Muhammad Ali and Colin Kaepernick, sports provide a lot of black people a platform to and prominent voices in the black community to voice and express and fight for black interests. So I think that having different athletes like uh, LeBron James or uh, Serena Williams or Colin Kaepernick, whoever really um, risks certain aspects of their well-being to fight for Black interests and the deconstruction of white supremacy, I think definitely plays a big role. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think Nate summed it up well. But also just if you think about it, like the athletes and the people in entertainment are most people, most young people's role models. And with social media, Instagram, Twitter, all that type of stuff, the access to their opinions and voices are as large as they've ever been. So, you know, I think with athletes in particular, having a larger voice, they have, you know, the not most importance, but a huge importance in speaking up on issues. So I think aside from simply black athletes or athletes of color, it's white athletes who have um, one of the strongest voices at these times because they're in the majority. I mean, they're closest to the, the most problematic people. Um, so I think 
in situations where like Drew Brees did not speak or spoke up about the issues, but in more of a, I guess, negative light, for lack of a better term, I think that hurts the cause. I mean, I don't think he realized the impact that he would have on not only his fans and the people, the fans of like his voice and his game, but his teammates and the people around him in the locker room. So I think it's important for all athletes to recognize how big their voice is. Grant, you mentioned that two-hour Zoom call with the team of uh, your guys' teams or coaches done anything else uh, in order to facilitate conversation. And Grant, how did that conversation go? Conversation went really well. Like a lot of my white teammates admitted that they didn't know really a lot about the issues that were going on. They were trying to educate themselves. Um, and they all discussed how like important that meeting was for them because they were able to hear perspectives and opinions from people that they truly love and that they've been around for a while. So it went really well. Like the dialogue flowed, everyone talked and, you know, people got emotional understandably, but I think that just shows how important the issues are to people. And aside from doing the two hour zoom call, like we're doing social media initiatives, we're filming like a team wide video to sort of raise awareness for the issues and that type of stuff. So um, it's been good so far. Just to transition a little bit, a lot of this feels to me like the raising awareness piece, the protest pieces, they're really good and they're necessary. But where do you see it going from here? What tangible change can happen uh, or needs to happen first from this in your guys' eyes? I mean, there are so many injustices regarding race. Like, obviously, right now, a big focus is police brutality and there have been, like I've read a bunch of articles and listened to a lot of people who are talking about reforming the police institution. Some believe that completely defunding the police is the, um, the necessary issue. So, I mean, that's what police brutality, there's, again, education inequality, wealth inequality. And again, not only for men of color, but for, for trans people, for people of different sexual orientations, for women. There's so many injustices regarding Black people that I think that's a really broad question to answer and a tough question to answer. But for me, I think what people can do, what your average Joe's everyday citizens can do is to vote in not only national, but state and local elections. Um, like I know that was the first thing I did on Monday after sort of all the aftermath of, of everything. I voted in my local and state election, which was really important for me because I was able to use my voice and use my ability to vote um, to try and create change. So. Yeah, I think, again, the institutional change that we want to see is only going to happen if people speak up about it and use their ability to vote. Yeah, I agree. I think, like, just by people keeping the conversation going and continuing to apply pressure and raise awareness of how these systems function and their corruption, I think definitely goes a long way. And like Grant touched on a lot of it, the importance of voting, the importance of talking to your representatives uh, via email or phone call, I think is really important and vital in terms of uh, keeping this momentum going and moving towards tangible change. So looking at the group that the group of people we believe need to be educated properly, people that seem to fall on the wrong side of this debate, if you were to speak to them, there's one issue that usually comes up, which is that they aren't willing to listen, that they don't want to take the time to read the facts, stuff like that. Is there one quick thing you would say to that group of people uh, to hopefully change their minds and sway their opinions? I mean, I think like the prison industrial complex and mass incarceration, I've heard a lot of people say that's like the civil rights issue of our time. And I, it's like, 
when you really do the research and you see the statistics and learn the history, it's crazy. It's like, it's crazy to um, understand and like really wrap your head around the fact that it even exists and functions that way. So I think trying to find a way to break that down and how it impacts Black communities and exploits Black labor. I think, um, again, like, I don't know the exact answer to that question, but one thing that I've tried to do is to make it relevant to people's lives individually. And obviously that's very hard to do with racism. Like you can't know or understand the experiences of black people if you're not black. Like that's just kind of the reality of it. Um, And the biggest thing is to listen. But if people won't listen, I guess the thing that I would try and do is, is try and make the issues that I'm experiencing relate to them in some way or fashion. So like, for example, I read a couple interesting articles about the riots um, and the violence and stuff and looting that was take, that has taken place. And while I don't agree that that's the right thing to do at this time, I think one of the arguments behind it was that it directly affects like the white business owner of those places. So that may be like one thing I would say, but again, I don't really know. It's tough to, to convince people of um, a social cause if, if they won't listen in the first place. Yeah, see, because that's the thing. I've I've actually been, Grant and I have actually had conversations like that in the past. And I feel like at this point, if somebody is like that uneducated, then maybe they, they just don't want to be, you know, I feel like they're uh, pretty set in their ways at that point, which is tough. I always hold out, I'm at, right now I'm holding out hope uh, that that's not the case because this this current event for both me and Joey, I think, has definitely changed our view from non-racist to anti-racist. And I think that's a huge mental shift. So I know that's one way that things can change, but if we're talking about the group that just doesn't believe in racism, then we're talking about an entire different entity. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you there. Yeah. So let's transition to uh, you guys as athletes as well, because you guys are both really good athletes, great basketball players who I loved watching. So I know you guys played each other. I'll ask Nate first, who won? No, go ahead. Ask. Oh, who won? Who won? <laughs> God, Amherst won. Amherst won. But it was, I mean, it was, it was questionable. You know, we can run it back. To answer that question, we've won three years in a row now. Uh, I've only been there for two. <laughs> so the first one doesn't count. How, how about the individual matchup? Who won that one? Oh, Grant, you know, go ahead, go ahead, talk. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I was actually looking at the stats. Uh, Nate had 29, so he had a good game, shot really well from the field. Um, he did this thing. I will say that I was not guarding him because, you know, he's he's like 6'6 six, six now, but I had 22 and 6, so, you know, it's, you know, not bad. But I would say I would say Nate probably won the, the individual matchup. He was cooking, so I'll, I'll give him that. See, because they, they handed out the scouting report. And you know, I got I got bad vision. Like I'm like twenty, like twenty sixty, you know. So I looked down at what it really said was Grant, said Grant Robinson. And I was like, it looked a little familiar, but I, I could have swore I read barbecue chicken off the paper. And I was going <laughs> down and it was like lockdown defender, this, this and that. They they must not have known. You know what I mean? I'm a supreme scorer, baby. <laughs> I tried to tell my team for that that he could go off, but um, he did some tough shots. I mean, he was he was shooting over people, so <laughs> I gotta gotta give him some credit. Uh, it was grimy out there, like disgusting. <laughs> like I couldn't even explain to you. Like you'd have to be there. It was. It was, it was 
I'm playing a player. Now, Amherst is a really good team. I'm just dead nice. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm cold. I'm a problem. <laughs> you, you mentioned earlier that uh, some, of, some of Everson's faculty didn't really mention you enough in the, in the articles about this game and other games. Any call-outs you want to direct to uh, previous podcasts? Yes, Jawan Kim. I don't know who wrote the article, but all I'm saying is, look, the most important thing is the W, you know? So I'm not, you know, but I'm just saying, I feel like if somebody has 29, you should probably <laughs> sprinkle that in, sprinkle that into an article somewhere. I mean, I was I was pulling up from deep. I was hearing pull-ups. I was doing the Baja. Like, I was posting up. I was everywhere. I was blocking shots. <laughs> Real quick, what are you guys' team goals for next year? Get Nate the ball. <laughs> no, no, I'm playing. I'm playing. <laughs> we're, we're trying to get back to the tournament, get back to the NCAA tournament and make a run. Yeah, I mean, our goal, like, this sounds cliche, um, and, like, I, I don't really want to give this answer, but it's true. We really just want to focus, like, game by game, um, try and win every game, because last year we sort of thought ahead too much, um, and we thought, forward so whether that was like winning the our conference winning um national championship whatever like we thought about that at the beginning of the season and i think it's good to have long-term goals but at the end of the day like if you don't take every game seriously it's gonna hurt you in the long run and that happened to us last year so uh we're just trying to correct that i also i would just like to point out see i had 29 right but it very <laughs> easy it was some foul calls that you know eh, like <laughs> i caught through under the rim it should have been like 34 and what else? Oh, shout out to Fruto, because Grant knows, you know, if you go on my highlight tape, it's like the third play. You know, I came out, so, oh, come here, you know, but back. Because I'm lightning fat. Like, I, I run like a 4-3. And I'm Nate, we, we've back. established you're nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just playing. Oh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate having you guys on. Yeah, thanks for taking some time out of your busy weeks. Yeah, we definitely, as two white hosts, we definitely view it as important to amplify those black voices out there. And if we can get black athletes to speak about their experiences, we think that's huge. So we really appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate it too. Thank you guys. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. I hope you guys continue to do this and continue to have black representation. It's, it means a lot that you guys took the time to talk to me and Nate. So appreciate it. Definitely. Thank you. What a great discussion we were just able to have with Grant and Nate. I'm uh, really glad we were able to hear him talk. Uh, one thing that really stood out to me immediately and staying with me so far is those voices that athletes have. It's something that the regular community does not, and especially the black community does not. So it's really awesome that black athletes have that pedestal to talk on. It it's, gives them a voice in their community, but to the whole world over social media. And it's also important, this one I thought was really interesting, it's really important for white athletes to use that same platform in a positive way. We've obviously seen what Drew Brees did this week, and he's come out with multiple apologies and is now going at Donald Trump a little bit. Uh, but at first, he definitely used his platform in a negative way. And there are definitely ways that white athletes can use that platform for positive change. And for two white hosts like us, who are trying to make a voice for ourselves in the sports world, any way that we can help bring that voice to light, I feel like we have a responsibility to. And, you know, the past week has been interesting for me because it, as, as I said in the interview, it's, it's taught me to be not only not racist, but anti-racist too. 
So it's forced me to think about um, the ways in which I actually help stop racism. And it was kind of a smack in the face for me because I don't think I'm a racist guy, but I realized that I have not done as much as I could have done over the last 21 years of my life in order to actively help stop this problem. I absolutely agree uh, from my standpoint, too. And I think the first the first step for us to take is admitting that we can do something to change our view, to change our stance, and to change what we've done for the black community. And it's really important to admit and then move forward. And how do we move forward? I think this is one way that we can move forward by hosting this podcast today. Uh, another way is peacefully protesting along with the rest of uh, the protesters downtown in D.C. and other cities around the country. Um, and what can we do on social media to get a voice out there? There are multiple steps we can take. You know, just to jump in, I thought the most interesting way they talked about was just continuing to educate yourself. Yes. Um, that's been a big thing for me over the last week as well is learning about it, right? Um, learning about the problem, learning about problems that we don't hear about. Because it's as Grant talked about plenty of times, it's more than just police brutality. Um, it's a lot more than that. Um, it's a systematic thing. So, you know, that's the great thing about learning is there's always more to learn, right? Absolutely. Even if you're the quote unquote expert on an issue and we are far from it, um, we know that we still have a lot more to learn. So just, I encourage people to go out there and actually learn. Um, I'm going to continue to do it and I know you are as well. And I've seen some black personalities on Twitter and Instagram and other social media websites calling for white people to not get burned out on this. Imagine if we got burned out on this topic after a week while they've been living it their entire lives. And that's an incredibly valid point to me. It's really important for us to keep going, to keep pressing the issue and to keep educating ourselves. Going absent on social media for us means we're not educating ourselves because new facts come out every day that I see on Instagram. And I've learned a lot from the experience. So that's all for this week, guys. Thanks for tuning in. I know it was a little bit of a different episode um, than what we typically do, but we felt that was important for this week. Yeah, great to have Grant and Nate on today. Uh, looking forward to having them back on the podcast at some point in the future, talk a little more about their athletic careers. But we really appreciate their insights on the last week in the U.S. You've been listening to The Fallout. Thanks for tuning in.